In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. How does Jesus relate to the Old Testament? If you're new to the Bible, you may find the Old Testament, that long first part of the Bible, a bit foreign and maybe obscure. Richard Dawkins, the famous critic of Christianity and the leader of the New Atheist Movement, he makes this claim. He says, quote, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, a capriciously malevolent bully. That's his view of the Old Testament. Much of the New Testament is actually dealing with how Christians are to relate to the Old Testament. Should converts to Christianity have to become outwardly Jewish? Should converts to Christianity continue to keep the law in the same way the Jews were keeping the law? Jesus' chief disciple, Peter, he actually gets confused about these things. There's a whole book of the Bible exploring this theme. The first church council in the book of Acts addresses these questions. The confusion kind of continues on into early Christianity. In the second century, there's a guy named Martian who was very earthly. He wasn't a Martian. His name was Martian, though. He decided uh, that there are basically two different gods. There's two different stories we have, the God of the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, something drastically changed. There's a different God in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a God sort of of wrath and envy. The God of the New Testament is a God of love and grace and charity. He rejected what he saw as this evil God of the Old Testament, and he picked out parts of the New Testament that fit his view of what or who God should be. This view of the Old Testament, the view that it's wildly different from the New Testament, is actually reflected in Dawkins' view of the Old Testament God, and it's also seen, even among many Christians, who see the Old and the New Testament completely disjointed. This view that Jesus in the New Testament can be cleanly separated from the Old Testament. This actually continues on today. So how does Jesus relate to the Old Testament? What kind of direction does he give us when we come to that long first part of the Bible? How we should read it, how we should understand it. Our gospel lesson today gives us a window into Jesus's relationship with what we call the Old Testament. And here the shorthand is the law and the prophets, referring to the Old Testament. Now, why is this important? You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking about, you know, I really, there's lots of things I need to work on in my life. One is my relationship to the Old Testament. We really need to get that down. So why is this important? Here's why this is important. If we're going to follow Jesus, Jesus tells us that understanding his relationship to the law and the prophets is a matter of understanding his teaching, and it's a matter of being part of his kingdom. So even if you weren't concerned about this question, you probably should be if you're a follower of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. How does Jesus answer this question about his relationship to the Old Testament, the law, the prophets? He says, I haven't come to abolish it, haven't come to do away with it, I have come to fulfill it. He's saying this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which we began to look at last week. And I want us to press into this theme a little bit this morning, this theme of Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament, to the law, to the prophets. I want to ask three questions. What is the law? 
How does Jesus fulfill it? And why does it matter for us? So what is the law? How does Jesus fulfill it? And why does it matter for us? So what is the law? When we think of the word law, we can immediately have this image of a courtroom. It's a place of legal transactions. It's a place where you have a judge. It's a place where there's penalties. It can be rather impersonal and a bit harsh, this image that we have of the law. But how is Jesus using this term law? The word law, in the background of this word law, the way that Jesus is using it here in the New Testament, it refers to what Jews call Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch. And these books laid out the basic understanding that Jews had of the created world, the understanding that the Jews had of God. So it laid out creation and theology for them in the Torah. The Torah was also the foundational charter for Israel. It spelled out how Israel was to order her life before God in worship, how to order her political life, and also her relationship to those around her, outsiders, other nations, other people. The law was meant to guide Yahweh's relationship with his people. But behind the word law is an important word in the Bible. That word is covenant. God's people became enslaved in Egypt. This is such an important part of the story of the Old Testament. They became enslaved in Egypt. But God graciously rescues them out of slavery by his servant Moses. Moses led them into the wilderness, and they came to this place called Mount Sinai. This is where you get the Ten Commandments. And at Mount Sinai, the Lord enters into a covenant with his people Israel, enters into this defined relationship. He's redeemed them by grace, he's rescued them by his grace, and now he's entering into this covenant relationship with them at Sinai. Now, think about what happens in a marriage. In a marriage, you have uh, a man and a woman who already love each other. There's already a relationship that is there. But in a marriage, they make a public oath to show the seriousness of this relationship. It's a public oath to make to each other before others so that they will keep their marriage covenant. So there are vows and there are stipulations that are involved in a marriage covenant. There is law, if you will. But before there is that law, there is a relationship that exists. At Sinai, you can think of it like this. The Lord has redeemed his people. He marries Israel, as it were. He has graciously brought them out of Egypt, but now he calls them into this relationship, into this covenant. And he sets the terms for this relationship. And through his servant Moses, he gives them the law as part of this covenant relationship with them. The Lord redeems Israel by grace, but they are called to live in faithfulness, responding to that grace. They're called to live as the faithful people of God in his covenant, and the law is given to order that relationship. So when Jesus talks about the law, he's not simply referring to a bunch of old rules or commands. It's bigger than that. It's dealing with God's covenant relationship with Israel. You can think about a document like the Constitution. When you hear the word Constitution, we think of law, right? It's spelling out laws, the law of the land. It orders government and society. But I bet when you hear the word constitution, if you're anything like me, you think of the story of the constitution. You think of the founding fathers. You think of the revolution. You think of everything that went in to create that document, the ideals that that law speaks to. The, the law, the Torah, is not just a bunch of rules. 
It's connected to a much larger story here that Jesus is referring to, and that is God's relationship with his people played out in history. So when Jesus says he has come not to destroy the law, this is the background of what he's referring to. But he also says the law or the prophets. The prophets refer to the rest of what we call the Old Testament, the narrative, the poetry of the prophets. They're telling Israel's story through the lens of the Torah, those first five books of the Bible. When Christians talk about law or obedience or obeying commands, there's something really important we always have to remember. And it goes all the way back to Israel's story. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Lord saves us just like he did Israel by grace. He brings us into a covenant relationship with him, not through our obedience, not through our keeping the law, but because of his love, because of his grace. Obedience, responding to the Lord's commands. This comes once we are in a covenant relationship with God. We don't obey in order to be saved. We are saved in order to obey, in order to respond. Israel was redeemed and brought into this relationship so that they could be the people of God, living faithfully in his covenant, ordering their lives by God's law. And it's the same sort of dynamic for Christians, redeemed by grace, brought into the relationship, but responding to the covenant, responding to the commands that Jesus has given us. So that's a bit of the background of the law. What is it that Jesus is referring to? So how does Jesus fulfill it? Because he says, I haven't come to abolish it. It's not like we're making a clean break. I have come to fulfill it. So what does he mean by that? How does he do this? What does that look like? I think we can think about Jesus fulfilling the law from two different angles. He fulfills Israel's story and he fulfills Israel's statutes. So he fulfills Israel's story. Imagine Jesus standing in front of the world's most powerful spotlight. So what would that produce behind Jesus? Great big shadow, right? The world's largest shadow. The story of Israel is lived out in this shadow. The law is lived out in this shadow. But eventually, as we move closer to Jesus, we move out of the shadow and we see the real thing. We see Jesus. He's the reality behind this shadow or in front of the shadow. And Matthew's gospel is unique among the other gospels because it shows us how Jesus retraces Israel's story. Matthew is showing us Jesus is the true Israelite. He is coming and he's getting Israel's story right. Israel failed to get it right. They didn't obey the law. They failed again and again. Jesus is coming, retracing that story and getting it right, and thus fulfilling the Old Testament story. And we see this in many ways. Just for a couple minutes here, a quick little Bible study in the first few chapters of Matthew. In Matthew 1.1, we read the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is really, literally, the genesis of Jesus Christ. So if you're, if you're listening, if you're paying attention, this is an echo back to the first book of the Bible, the first book of the wall, Genesis. The book of the genesis of Jesus Christ. It's referring to genealogy too, but there's an intentional echo to the first book of the Bible. We then have a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we're told that Jesus, among many others, he's a descendant of Abraham, one of the central figures of the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Israel is in Egypt with Joseph as their ruler. But they are soon oppressed by Pharaoh, who seeks to kill Israel's babies. In Matthew chapter 2, there's another Joseph, Jesus' father, 
who leads his family into Egypt to escape Herod, who's a Pharaoh-like figure, who also is seeking to kill Israel's babies. There's a replaying of Israel's story here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. The Lord leads Israel out of Egypt through water, crossing the Red Sea. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus at his baptism, he crosses water. He then goes on to be tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, which echoes the 40 years of Israel being tempted in the wilderness in the Old Testament. After Israel comes through the water to the wilderness, they come to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where they are given the law. Jesus passes through water. He's in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 5, he goes up on what? He goes up on a mountain. And he gives us the true fulfillment, the true meaning of the law. And he gives it to his people. He gives it to his disciples. He is forming a nation around himself, a new people to be ordered by this new covenant relationship. And in doing so, he is retracing and fulfilling Israel's story for Israel, but also for the world. There's a fancy word that theologians use when they talk about this. It's called recapitulation. He's recapitulating Israel's story. And this is important because Jesus is saying he has not come to do away with all of this stuff that came before. He has come to bring it to its fullest meaning. He has come to show us what it's all about all along in retracing Israel's steps. So the Old Testament is not to, to be this boring story, this just slog you have to get through just to get to Jesus. So it's certainly preparing us for Jesus. But the Old Testament story is showing us different angles. It's preparing us to receive Jesus as the true fulfillment of it. The, New, the Old Testament is a story awaiting completion, and that completion is in Jesus. So we're up on this mountain in Matthew chapter 5. One like Moses, but much greater than Moses, he delivers the fulfillment of the law in this sermon on the mount. He brings it, the law, to its light, its truest fulfillment. Jesus gives a charter for his people in this sermon. He's forming this new nation. And up on the mountain, Jesus is the living Torah, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in his very person. So he fulfills the law by the very story that he lives. By his very life, he is fulfilling the law and the prophets. But he also fulfills the law by the statute. The law lays out requirements. Here's what it looks like to be a faithful Israelite, a faithful person of God. In Jesus, when he's baptized, we're told he's baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus, in his life and ministry, will fulfill all righteousness. He will keep everything that's required in the law perfectly. And he does it for us. He does it for his people. But he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a, jot, a dot, will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Jesus is the one who keeps all the jots and the tittles of the law. But Jesus shows us what mature law-keeping looks like. He shows us a righteousness that goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees who outwardly were really righteous people. If you think about um, the stereotypical firstborn child, what do we know about the stereotypical firstborn child? These are typically, I know there's slight exceptions, they're rule followers. They want to know the boundaries. They'll press those boundaries, but they want to know where the boundaries are. They want to know who's in charge, and they want to know what the rules are, and they get really good at um, impressing teachers and authorities in order to manipulate it to their advantage. They're, they're really good at this sort of thing. They can be scrupulous rule followers, though. 
There's a, there's a childish way of keeping the rules, which, by the way, which often part of that, the other side of that, is telling on others who aren't keeping the rules. So firstborns could be tattletales, too. The Pharisees were this, they were this kind of law keepers. They kept it in a very childish, outward way, overly scrupulous in tattletales, to be sure. But there is a mature way of keeping the law that Jesus is showing us, a mature way of applying the law that requires wisdom. Wise law keeping, wise obedience, it pays attention to what Jesus later calls in Matthew 23, the weightier matters of the law. There's this great episode in Matthew 23 where Jesus kind of takes it to the scribes and Pharisees. Like, you know, you're measuring out spices and all of this stuff and worried about all these little things to keep the law, and you neglect the weightier matters of law, mercy and justice. And Jesus, in his ministry, he is coming to show us the true heart of the law, the weightier matters of law, what it is all about from the beginning. Strikes me that in the opening of Matthew, we meet Joseph, Jesus' father. He's an example of this righteous, wise, mature law keeping. So you all know the story. His betrothed wife is with child. He doesn't know what to do. There's a way of applying the law that could have really shamed her in that situation. But he doesn't want to shame her. He does right by her. He could have applied the law in a childish way, but he opted for a mature way, and the Bible calls him righteous. He's a righteous man. This is how Jesus fulfills the statutes of the law, with wisdom, with maturity. He is concerned with the weightier matters of the law, not a childish over-scrupulousness. So what does this mean for us? Well, one thing, it means that we're to understand the Old Testament— we're to appreciate the Old Testament. We're to read and know and give ourselves to the study of the Old Testament because the Old Testament is preparing us for Jesus. Jesus says, look, you, you want to know me? If you want to get to know someone, you get to know their story. You get to know their history. You ask some questions. You, you learn over time their biography, all the stories that came before them that help us understand that person in that moment. And if you want to get to know Jesus, you won't just dismiss the Old Testament. But wait a minute, this is part of his family history. This is part of his story. Yes, it's complex. It's wild. It's crazy. There are parts that are confusing, and it might not make sense, but it's like it for all of our stories, right? Crazy, wild parts, things that frustrate us, we don't understand. But to know Jesus is to know his story. We find that in the law and the prophets. So one of the things this means for us is that we go to the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament knowing that this is Jesus's story. And it's an exciting story. It's a story that finds its full purpose and fulfillment in Jesus. But also, Jesus is beginning to show us what true obedience looks like, not that of the scribes and the Pharisees. To practice a righteousness, he's showing us it isn't childish and only concerned with outward righteousness, but practicing a mature righteousness that is concerned with the weightier matters, a righteousness that comes from a changed heart. Our epistle reading was talking about the spiritual or the mature person is one who is changed from the inside by the Spirit of God to live in obedience to the Spirit of God. And Jesus, in the rest of the sermon, he shows us what this mature, wise law-keeping looks like. This is just his introduction. He's just getting started. But as we look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, or at least the next section in the next couple weeks, let's keep this big picture in front of us. Jesus has called his followers, he's called you and me to follow him. And he calls us, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, to do his commandments. 
to perform his commandments, to obey his commandments, what he's teaching us. And he tells us to teach others to do the same. This, by the way, is part of the Great Commission, which ends Matthew's gospel. When Jesus says before he sins, okay, do all that I've commanded you to do and teach others to do the same. So we should pay attention to what Jesus is teaching us. We've been rescued by his grace. We don't obey in order to earn extra favor with God. That's already been given by grace. But we learn the law. We learn the mature um, um, law-keeping that comes from the heart so that we can be faithful in his covenant. Israel was to be a light to the nations. as God's holy people obeying the Lord's commandments. Jesus gathers us and he calls us to obey everything that he has commanded us. And what happens when we seek to live into this vision, this way of being in the world? I think what happens is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, what comes before this. We will be salt of the earth. We will be light to the world. We will be a city on a hill. People, Jesus says, will be drawn to our light. We will be a city of refuge within the cities around us. Jesus is calling us into a way of following him that is attractive, a way that is beautiful, a way that is compelling. And he's showing us together, this is what it looks like. That's what he's doing in this sermon. And the, um, the result of all this, Jesus says, is that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you who came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it, Saved by your grace, form our hearts to live in light of your teaching, to be a shining light in a glorious city, that those on the outside may be brought inside to glorify our Father in heaven. Amen.